Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friends, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hello! And today we're joined by our friend, Greg. Hello, friends. Today we're talking about the circle and social media personalities. So spoiler alert for the circle, sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please be on your way to an essential job. Uh, Greg, thank you for um, coming on. Yeah, of course. I know it must be hard during quarantine as a, a new parent, so we appreciate you finding time in your limited schedule. It is a joy to speak to other functioning adults. <laughs> yeah, well, Joe's playing good cop. I'm going to be playing bad cop. Wow, Greg, we've been putting off the circle for so many episodes because we couldn't figure out our schedules. Thanks a lot. Well, it just took a, a few weeks before Madison decided to take a, a nap, so it's finally time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know what? I take it back. I don't want to be bad cop. <laughs> um, so the, the listeners know the gist of how quarantine has been for us. Um, do you have anything you want to share about your quarantine? Yeah, so I, I recently moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, and I've been working remotely full-time since the beginning of March. So when quarantine began for the rest of the world in mid-March, uh, my day-to-day actually did not change too much. The The biggest challenge is, uh, as a somebody who just moved to a new town, it's been difficult to meet new people. I've had neighbors stop by saying, uh, we would have brought you trays of cookies and baked goods, but that just kind of seems weird right now. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's been a bummer. Ah, uh, you missed out on... On free food. I know. But fortunately, I have, uh, I've engaged more time in Netflix. So, you know, really investing my time and energies in, in some new hobbies. Uh, is Netflix one of the new hobbies? Or is that like a, aside from the new hobbies that you've also picked? It's uh, tangential to some of the other hobbies I've picked up. Got it. Um, so, I mean, I'm ready to jump right into it. I just want to give a a quick synopsis of The Circle before we rate it. Um, The Circle's a reality TV show on Netflix. It's been created in a couple of countries uh, where members judge each other based on their social media personalities. Uh, They only interact with each other virtually, and the show sort of shakes it up with games like Ask Me Anything and Would You Rather. That was an excellent description, Alex. Oh, I forgot. Hijinx and Sue. There you go. Now it is a perfect description. (laughs) Um, So uh, right off the bat, I'm willing to say that reality TV is not for me. Um, I've I've watched snippets of a lot of things like Survivor, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, uh, Love is Blind. Uh, Really, the only reason I watched The Circle all the way through was to be able to talk about it. And because of that, I'm going to rate this form of media a two. Ooh. As, as an audience and a critic? Uh, as an audience member. Um, when I look at it as a critic, I'm putting on the perspective of relative to other reality TV, and I'm willing to bump it up to a three. Wow. I, I feel like you're being unfair to the genre and not to the specific piece of film that we watched um i mean it comes down to my enjoyment all right so be it um i'll agree i uh on the whole 
I, I would say reality TV probably isn't for me. Um, there's a handful of shows that I really enjoy, one of them being The Circle. Um, also, The Jersey Shore and all of its uh, offshoots, spinoffs, that's the word. So I think uh, for me, reality shows need to either have really great personalities or a really great gimmick. Um, and I felt that The Circle had a really great gimmick and it got me uh, pretty early on. So as an audience member, I'm going to give it a four. And as a critic, I think I might bump it down to a 3.5. Just because I think there were um, some aspects of like how the game was played that uh, I didn't think panned out that well. Um, But on the whole, I would definitely recommend people watch it. And for me, I am not a natural reality television viewer. Uh, My introduction to reality TV was with The Bachelor and the entire Bachelor franchise, and I've become a a huge fan of that franchise. So I I got to the point where I was willing to give some new shows a try. I watched Love is Blind and ultimately watched uh, The Circle, and was a huge fan. I got sucked into it. I do not binge watch many shows, and this is one of those that I could not stop watching and finished it all in a weekend. And I, for that reason, I have to give it a, a five as a viewer. Um, as a critic, I'll, I'll knock it down to a four because I agree with Joe. There are a couple aspects of the format that I think can be improved, and, and I hope they do improve in future seasons. But uh, I, I really enjoy this. It's a fun show with great personalities. Yeah, one thing I find interesting is that all three of us binged The Circle, even though The Circle was one of the very few shows on Netflix that actually aired weekly. Yeah, um, Hannah told me to watch this show when it first came out and was airing weekly. And she and her roommate would, like, watch it when the new episode aired. And I was just like, sounds like it's not for me. Um, Then, Greg, you suggested that we reviewed it on the podcast, so that's why I watched it. And I felt like such a dummy for putting it off. Although I was glad that I was able to binge it because um, it's been so long since I've ever had to wait for a new episode of something. Right. And it it makes me think how... Watch, like binge watching reality TV shows would change our relationships with them, especially a show like The Bachelor that relies so much on the anticipation of promos and hyping up what might happen in the f- weeks to come, and being able to condense that into you know eight episodes that you can watch in just you know a day. Even uh, it really changes how you watch it and how, how you enjoy it. Yeah, one thing that I appreciated about The Circle was its pacing. Um, Even though it aired weekly, I think it expected a lot of binge-watching, so it didn't leave a lot of loose ends as the episode sort of concluded, or they had, like, multiple reveals in one episode rather than building up to one reveal at the very end. And so I appreciated that while I was consuming it. Um, The big thing that I enjoyed about this reality TV was that I actually liked the personalities. I agree. 
I followed a lot of the cast on Instagram after I watched because I just wanted like more of their content. Um, I thought they were all a lot of fun. Um, and they their interactions with each other were like really fun to watch, um, particularly within the confines of only being able to communicate virtually. Yeah, from the get-go, I was like, oh, Sammy's my favorite, absolutely. And I was mildly put off by Joey just because of the vibe he gives off and the middle school that I grew up in. <laughs> um, but he grew on me ever so quickly when he called people out for what they were and he was being himself. And I think a big part of the show has to do or sort of became whether someone was catfishing or not. But even the people who were catfishing were still emoting their personality, or at least a lot of them were. And so it still felt like like an honest conversation back and forth. That's a great point, Alex, because one of the great parts about this show is you obviously see the social media brand persona that they're trying to put on for everyone else in the circle, but you constantly see their actual selves, you know, dictating and talking to themselves and playing, uh, entertaining themselves in, in their apartment throughout the show. So you do get to see that authentic, uh, side of each of them throughout the, the, the show and the, in the series. I, uh, I am looking back. I am surprised at how many people were genuinely themselves rather than catfishing because, as far as I know, this is the only reality show where catfishing is an option. So I'm surprised at the number of people that considered catfishing. Right. Uh, I think, I mean, we can look at it from two perspectives. Either the personalities genuinely thought that they could win with their personality, or they were too afraid to like put up a lie and get caught. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a, an intensively negative stigma to catfishing, uh, which I support. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in the, in the context of this show, there was actually one criticism I had was that they were focusing too much on who was the catfish rather than just saying, do I like this personality or not? Yeah, their hunt. Uh, so the, the way, if, for anyone who hasn't watched it, the way the um, cast members vote people off is basically by ranking them. And eventually, I'm not sure if it's because there was too much emphasis on the catfish and who the catfish was, or if because at that point, everyone was genuinely vibing with each other. So the only uh, aspect they could think to disqualify someone was, I think this person is actually a catfish. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's fair to an extent because they're trying to identify who's the most popular nicest person here essentially and if you realize that somebody in the group is not who they say they are it's fair to disqualify that they're not quite as authentic and, and as nice and and a real person as, as everyone else in the room so to you know just to play devil's advocate i feel like that is fair to say you know that catfish should not advance and should be eliminated i agree i was also surprised um, when the person who's disqualified is eliminated, they get to go visit someone in person. And all the catfish 
were like so excited uh, to meet the other person and the other person was like, wow, I don't mind that you were a catfish at all now that we're face to face. Um, so I was surprised at that because if I thought I had this friendship with someone and then I found out that even just the appearance aspect of that was a lie, I don't know how I would react yeah, they were surprisingly cordial reactions when people expose themselves as catfish. I was surprised too. Mm-hmm. I think it has to do with the time span that actually occurred. Like, was each episode a full day? Were they only in quarantine for a week? So I was actually hoping one of you guys would know that. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but that, I mean, that seems right to me. I think it was a pretty short period of time. So my guess is the reason they were so comfortable saying like, oh, well, you're a catfish. Oh, well, we're still buds is because they still went through something together. And it was it wasn't so long. The only person that I truly believe was hurt, even though he didn't say he was, was um, Shuby with Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even still, um you know, he was, he was able to be like, oh, you know what? Like I was saying, you're my sister. Now you're my brother. Like he was still as, as Greg put cordial. And I think you're right, Alex. He just didn't show it, but I thought he was going to be devastated, like unable to speak levels of disappointment. I think it would have been different if a catfish had won and won the cash prize and all of that because at the end of the day it was just like okay we played a game you deceived me life will go on but there was really no gravity to the final reveal except for you know i i thought you were somebody else in the context of a game right um i did like the games that they played to sort of get to know each other slash try to identify if someone is telling the truth or not because even in the context of if someone isn't catfishing they can still lie about like things that they like or dislike for the sake of popularity and so it was fun to see things like ask me anything um or would you rather and then hear about like do you pee in the shower and then like when a girl pees in the shower people are like oh that's so a dude thing she's catfishing (laughs) yeah um speaking of you know being able to lie about anything um we've been talking a lot about the catfish but a lot of the people who weren't catfishing did admit to uh being in relationships but setting that aside and openly flirting um in the pursuit of winning the circle so i just th- that's an interesting sort of dichotomy i guess like what we're okay with lying about yeah and different standards where i mean if you clearly are using a different photo that's obviously crossing a line but making small white lies about relationships and what your interests are that's more or less acceptable in the context of social media Mm -hmm. and i do think it it puts a lens on society or at least these players perspective of society to say i have a greater chance of being popular if I get to flirt. Mm-hmm. Um, I was put off initially by Shubom, Shuby, um, because he came in so hard with this social media is evil persona. Um, and it sort of seemed that was like his whole personality was like, I don't like social media. Yeah. But in retrospect, I can't appreciate him doing the show as sort of a statement of uh, people have these online personas 
I don't, and I'm going to see how far I can get without actually making an online persona. Yeah, Shubi's a really fascinating character and is a far more polarizing person than, than I thought when I first viewed it. Because I saw it from the lens of he's a totally authentic dude, he's not trying to be anybody else, and I was like, how could you not like him? Um, and I was blown away when I realized there were people out there that did not like Shuby. <laughs> yeah, I... I mean, I am one of those people that didn't like Shuby. Uh. I'm I'm not sorry. I was gonna say I'm sorry, and guess what? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> um, That's and a it catch. wasn't that I, it wasn't that I disliked him, but I definitely didn't like him. He put off this vibe that made me uncomfortable of, oh man, that's such an authentic answer. I love that guy of like, he just, I guess, trusted his perspective so much and couldn't fathom the fact that someone might be catfishing that it made me frustrated. Perhaps I saw some of myself in him with my naivete and my inherent trust in other people. Um, but I, I really vibed with him, and I thought he made the show. Like My favorite part, I think, of the whole show is when an, yet another person sent home did not visit Shuby's room, and he's like, oh, again, I made a PB&J sandwich for this person. <laughs> I don't that get to share it. That was very funny. That was, that was like the one line where I was like, <laughs> wow, Shuby, I'm on your side. I was like, that is just quintessential Shuby. <laughs> In fact, uh, do we have a clip? <laughs> Uh, we, we don't have a clip, um, but one thing we haven't addressed is newcomers entering the circle as people left. Thoughts? Um, this was why I bumped it down to a 3.5. Um, I liked the new cast members that came on as people left. I really enjoyed Miranda. I liked Bill. Um but ultimately, when the show comes down to who do you like the most, who do you think is the most popular, and you're ranking everybody, obviously the people who were there from day one are going to make it because they, you've just been around them the longest. You know, the person who's been there from the beginning isn't going to put the person that's only been there for a day at number one on their list. Um, so that's how I feel about new cast members coming on. I hear you, but the main reason that I accepted the fact that they were bringing on new people who I recognize had no chance of actually winning the circle uh, was the fact that their purpose wasn't to be competition, essentially. The purpose of bringing on more people were to test the already existing relationships that were in the circle. Um, and I really got that from my time watching Bachelor in Paradise, which is a very similar format where there's kind of a core group who arrive on the beach and start forming relationships. And then each day they bring in new individuals. And these people that come in late are not going to get engaged by the end of Bachelor in Paradise, but they're there to challenge the pre-existing relationships and see how strong those relationships actually are. That's interesting. Uh, I'm going to agree that the newcomers had no chance to win, but I'm going to disagree with you, Greg, and say that that is a complaint because 
each of them had the persona of I'm coming in and I'm ready to win. So either the producers lied to them or they were sort of being fake. And that makes things worse for me. Yeah, I think on a show uh, and forgive me, I'm not super familiar with how Bachelor in Paradise works. But on a show like Bachelor in Paradise or a show that I enjoy called X on the Beach, where these new people come in to challenge the relationship, that's sort of the end of the goal. Um, Whereas, Alex, as you pointed out, on The Circle, there is one winner. Um, So just challenging the relationships isn't as big as an aspect as it should be on, like, these other shows. Um, But, Greg, I I do appreciate um, your perspective on it. And... To your point, I do think they were authentically trying to win. And I think earlier on, especially, you know, Miranda, for example, I think she was the first one to join. Um, I think she had a legitimate chance, like could have potentially earned trust within that circle. But by the end, when Ed, for example, comes on, he's really purposely rocking the boat and trying to start fires. And I think he could tell... You know, there's this click, and I'm not part of it, and I'm never going to be inside that group. And his sole purpose is really to to, to mess things up. I thought. Yeah, I I uh, I see your point. I think when we come back in the second half, we can talk about how we think we could make the circle better. Let's do it. Guys, has this ever happened to you? You're getting asked a question. Yes. Well, that's happened to me. Has the question ever been, do you get a monthly service that sends you fresh meats and fruits and vegetables once a month? People ask that of me all the time. What would you answer to that question? No, I do not subscribe to such a thing. All right. Well, if you let's say you do every month, you're racking up. It's fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables and meat every month. All of a sudden, civil war. And the world ends, and you have to go underground, and all you have is this really perishable, fresh fruits, vegetables, and meat. I would have to consume that immediately. Exactly. And then you're going to run out really, really quick, and who knows how long the end of the world's going to be. Yeah, it seems like fresh food doesn't really make sense in the context of nuclear holocaust. Well, what if I told you that there's a new subscription service that could answer this question? Now that sounds like something I'd be interested in. Well, Steph, I think you're going to be interested in Hello Non-Perishable. This monthly subscription service sends you a box of cans of beets, tomato soup, cream of mushroom, and other non-perishable food items to really prepare you for nuclear holocaust. Wow, that's exactly what I've been looking for because my vault is empty. Exactly, and you can start filling up your vault because Hello Non-Perishable sends you one of these monthly boxes once a month until the end of the world. Wow, that sounds like a deal that can't be beat. Exactly, and listeners to the podcast can use promo code Two Bald Men to get 20% off their first month's box. So sign up today for Hello Non-Perishable. Boy, oh boy, I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to go out and purchase those goods or services. Yum, yum. So we want to discuss briefly how we would make the circle better. Um... Honestly, I don't have a very fleshed out answer. I think I would just 
figure out a different mechanism other than replacing the eliminated people with someone brand new, but I don't know what that system would be. So well done, Netflix. (laughs) You've outdone me yet again. Um, I, I would say that because my complaint is that the newcomers don't have a chance, the way I would change the circle is to figure out a way to give the newcomers genuine opportunity to win. So, so I think I have two ways of doing that. Either there are two circles with eight people, and then over the course of a couple of episodes, both get dwindled down to four, and then those two groups of four combine to make a new group of eight. Um, I don't know if that necessarily solves the situation because that just means that there aren't any newcomers, but it does make it last as long as the original circle, which is really the only reason I imagine newcomers are joining is to make the show last longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives the opportunity for two groups of people to have alliances and then sort of see where it goes from there. And then my second way is having multiple newcomers join at the same time, which they did once, but give them a chance to talk with each other first and potentially create an alliance or whatever before getting thrown into the core group. So building some sort of new critical mass of new people that can build their own for their own circle essentially develop relationships and then compete with the pre-existing circle of folks potentially if if we're trying to solve the issue of newcomers not having a chance All right what i like about your first proposal is it would address another issue of mine which was it was never clear to the viewer how this ended Initially, I kind of thought each week they would vote somebody off until there was one winner left, but obviously that doesn't work when you have a group voting on a popular person. You need many people to determine who's most popular. But by episode six or seven, I was just like, what's the end game? How does this end? So by adding a little more structure of having two groups that you're kind of winnowing down and then they join together, I think it might give the viewer a little bit more of a, a structure to the show Mm. and and that's what i was trying to do those are uh both better than netflix so now the now the ball's in our court sign us up all right and um i do have a a second way now i don't necessarily want to say that this would make it better it would probably make it into a brand new show But my second complaint was the fact that we focused too much on who is the catfish. And I think if that's what the show were to double down on, it could be a fun reality TV game where people choose whether or not they are a catfish. And the longer they stay, like a certain number of days, the more money that they make. And then the people who aren't catfishes... Um, if they're able to weed out the catfish, they get rewarded with money, almost like a um, an inverse relationship of a person who is not catfishing starts with a bunch of money but is losing it mm-hmm. over the course of time because the catfishes are taking the money and the catfishes start at zero and they're gaining the money over the course of time depending on how long they last. 
I, I think we might have a circle spinoff in the making here, Alex. Hit me up, Netflix. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I, I totally agree. At times watching the show, it felt like I was viewing a, a game of mafia or werewolf where the townspeople are trying to determine who is you know, the mafia who we need to kill off and who's deceiving everyone. And sometimes it just felt like they were getting away from the purpose of who's most popular and instead trying to vote off the deceitful catfish. So I think just embracing that new persona or new purpose of the game um, would still be a really fun show to watch. Thank you, Greg. I'm down. And I would watch it in a weekend. <laughs> um, one thing that the circle puts a lens on is this social media persona, social media personality that a lot of honest people put on because they're trying to create almost like a brand or an image of themselves that may be a little more hyperbolic than their true selves. And I want to talk about that. I think this is something particularly relevant right now as we're living through this quarantine coronavirus crisis where people feel the need to portray themselves as active and pursuing hobbies and still interacting with friends. And you see a lot of interesting things right now on social media as they're continuing to personify themselves in a, in a particular way. Yeah, um, at the at the very beginning, um, this trend, at least on my feed, has sort of died out. But um, there were a bunch of Instagram challenges, things like see 10 push-ups, do 10 push-ups. I'm going to record myself doing push-ups, and then the people that I tag have to do push-ups. Um, or there were drinking ones, like see a beer chug, do a beer chug, and the 10 people I tag. All the bingos. The bingos. Um, so it's sort of, uh, a way to facilitate still like interacting with people, but, uh, to your point, Greg, it's sort of like, see, like I'm still drinking with my friends. I'm still keeping active and being fit. Yeah, definitely. I, I see both of your points of almost saying I'm overcoming this and I personally can't tell if they're trying to convince themselves or if they're trying to convince the people watching them. Because I think there is a pressure from the internet to portray your best self. And there are definitely a lot of psychological studies that say when people compare to social media counterparts, um, they're likely to sort of feel less than because they're seeing the best of someone's life mm -hmm. without thinking about the fact that they're probably not posting the worst of their life. I guarantee you I post more cute, smiling baby photos <laughs> than whimpering, crying, upset baby photos. And there is a reason behind that. <laughs> Wait, do all parents do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's all coming together. Um, I do think, like, for myself, the, the, the type of personas that I give online, I've sort of taken a step back and sort of used social media to become more of an observer. I don't post as much as I used to. And then when I do, it's more often to be funny, in my mind, <laughs> or to make a political point. And I've taken a step back from sort of interacting through comments or likes or 
or my personal posts. So I think your brand is a funny political, a funny politico. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember in high school um, when I joined Facebook, me and others often used it as sort of a diary. Yes. Like if we had a bad day, we would post about it. Um, if we were happier looking forward to something, we'd post about it. Um, for whatever reason, once I got on Twitter, I was like, the people that do that on Twitter are annoying. <laughs> and so on Twitter, I was like, only jokes. And that's sort of carried into the social medias that have come since. I feel like with my social media personas, it really varies on the platform that I'm using. Uh, Facebook at this point is really sharing photos with close friends and, and like family. Uh, where I, I use Instagram as much of it's a public app that I, I feel like I'm per- trying my quote unquote brand to the world. So that's a combination of being a father, being a runner, um, being uh, outdoorsy. Uh, and when you like look at something like Twitter, it's much more political and professional and portraying myself as uh, a leader in my field. So, you know, even from platform to platform, I'm, I'm portraying different aspects of myself to the world. Yeah, uh, I wanted to bring up that meme uh, that was going around maybe a month or two ago where people were posting different pictures and one was their Instagram persona, their Facebook persona, their LinkedIn persona, and their Twitter persona. And they were always different. Mm. Um, and I think that really rings true. I think as much differences we might have with our real selves and our social media selves. I think our different social media selves have different personalities. And I guess it's because we might perceive different audiences on each, certainly from LinkedIn to Twitter. Right. And I guess we're all just catfishing those audiences. To varying degrees. (laughs) I wonder if we are the sums of our social media personas or if we're like, the inverses of them. I don't know. How much are we lying? Yeah, I think I think there has to be a nugget of truth in all of them, right? They're just selective facts that we're deciding to share with with different people. Um, so, uh, why do we need that? And I'm not asking like because I don't think I need that. I'm pretty sure I need that, but more in the philosophical question of like why do we feel the need to create personas? especially on different platforms and catering to different audiences rather than, you know, catering to ourselves. Yeah. I think going back to the circle, they really portrayed that really well. I really enjoyed watching them build their profiles when a new character joined the show and, and them scrolling through different photo options and describing uh, themselves in, in the in the personal description and kind of thinking through like, no, do I want to show this side of myself? Do I want to show that side of myself? And I think it really comes down to just trying to be accepted and, and essentially be considered popular by your peers. I think it has somewhat to do with like basically just a power fantasy Mm -hmm. through our last couple of episodes. Alex and I have been talking about um, Dungeons and Dragons and video games because We were just talking about what we've been doing during quarantine. And I think we enjoy those things because we get to be this larger-than-life character 
that we don't get to be in our normal day-to-day professional lives. And I think social media kind of just scratches the same itch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For example, I am a big meteorology fan, weirdly enough. And there's a Twitter account in DC called Capital Weather Gang, which is the Washington <laughs> the Washington Post's weather Twitter account. And today I tweeted an image of the Blue Ridge Mountains with some snow on it, and they retweeted it, and I got hundreds of likes. And I was on cloud nine all day long. <laughs> I felt like a a meteorologist, and it was a dream come true. That's so <laughs> interesting. <laughs> And I do think there is obviously that uh, dopamine hit when you get likes or when you get retweets or anything of the sort. You get shares. Um, I only have one social media account that's actually me. And it's not even my name. But my, my Facebook account is the only one where I'm actually claiming to be myself. I also have multiple social medias for the podcast and I have an Instagram for a stuffed animal hedgehog. Um, so I, I find that interesting because I still like going for the likes and I still enjoy those experiences of people taking my information and enjoying it. But it's even when it's not me. Mm-hmm. I think that's the same as just like any sort of art. Um, you know, like, yeah, the people that, liked this photo of the stuffed hedgehog aren't liking a photo that I'm in, but I still created the picture. I still set it up. So even if they don't realize it, they're liking the content that I created. Right. I agree. I I think I enjoy the experience of my content being appreciated rather than my personality being appreciated. Uh, I think a big thing, at least now that since you bring that up, I think another reason why we make these personas is because people want to get their content associated as their personality. Like I'd love if my Twitter went viral and people were like, Oh, Joe on Twitter is a funny guy. And therefore Joe is a funny guy. Exactly. That's the dream. That's what we all want. And I I do think that sense is even heightened right now when you may not be getting that affirmation just in normal life by your peer seeing, hey, Joe's a pretty funny guy. And so, you know, we're resorting to things like posts and and perhaps sharing podcasts to try to get that affirmation out to the world. What a specific (laughs) example. (laughs) I'm just really excited to share with the world that I am self-improving myself. I have baked bread. I have run frequently. And now I am airing on a podcast and I am sharing it all on social media. Yes. And and I think there are ways to use social media positively, especially during this time of quarantine where we're sort of looking for ways to be seen. And I think that's important. Um, but there are obvious consequences to an obsession of social media as well. The, the pressures of the internet. Um, there was this post that was viral going around talking about if you don't come out of this quarantine with either one a new skill two starting what you've been putting off like a new business or three more knowledge you didn't lack the time you lacked the discipline 
And uh, for me, it was a very frustrating uh, capitalist oriented mm-hmm. post that sort of ignores the trauma that a lot of people are experiencing within the context of a pandemic and believing that friends and family are constantly in danger um, and understanding that you're trapped. Even if you don't feel trapped, you are. Yeah. And sort of saying like, hey, don't forget to be productive. Hey, don't forget to not waste your time. Hey, don't forget to. And it, it's stressful. And I guess that gets to the aspect of social media when, you, when you're trying to put out this persona of I'm my best self. Uh, when someone else is looking at it, they might be like, oh, well, shit, I guess if this person's doing this, I must be bad for not doing that. Like, I don't have any, I haven't baked any bread during this quarantine. Um, I do have a question. Is baking bread the same as buying loaves of bread and, and putting them in the toaster oven? <laughs> is that is that baking bread? Because I do that. No, Alex, what you've described is making toast. Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're so you're so close. You're so close. I'm very proud. I'm really behind is what I am. I'm <laughs> I'm accidentally baking it the second time. No, you're in the you're ahead. You're too many steps ahead of that. Oh. Yeah, take that, social influencers. These chumps have to cook it the second time. Not you. Not me. I think it would behoove us all to occasionally share some more real content on our on our social media. Um perhaps an image of my kitchen without any of the dishes clean or perhaps a Sunday morning watching television instead of working out. Well, Greg, if you're going to do that, make sure you have a funny caption because if you're not being productive, you have to be funny. Oh yeah. No, I I will be witty and earn many likes. (laughs) Good. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please Tune in next time where we talk about Middleditch and Schwartz, the three long-form improv performances on Netflix. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore bald men, and find us on Facebook or 2baldmenpodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all again, and if you were driving... We hope you got to your job as an essential worker safely and on time.